0: This is Steve Lawson, and I want to welcome you to Men Who Rock the World. It's an exciting podcast that studies the lives and the legacies of great men in centuries past who have been used by God to turn the world upside down. Uh, These men are reformers. They're Puritans. They are preachers during the Great Awakening. Uh, They have been used even during the evangelical era. And so, I want to be able to, to introduce you to them and for you to come under the Uh, the influence of their lives. Um, I have had the opportunity to write biographies uh, on many of these men and to spend a year just researching and and learning about how God used them so mightily. I have the opportunity to to lecture in seminaries and to speak uh, in church pulpits on on these great men, and I've even visited on-site leading tour groups where really history was made. The importance of knowing church history cannot be overstated. Martin Lloyd-Jones once said that other than the Bible itself and theology, that the most important thing that a Christian should know is church history. So I want you to join me in this podcast in learning how these great men of faith were so greatly used. God bless you. Before we look at what we're going to look at now, John Bunyan, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I'd really like to read a Puritan, I, I just, and I'm, maybe you're thinking just one book, uh, let me make a recommendation to you. It's the first Puritan book that I ever read. It was a game changer in my life, and I went from being Arminian to Reformed as a result of reading this book. Um, it was the turning point, the tipping point for me while I was in seminary. It's also the first book that Banner of Truth chose to, to publish. It came out of Martin Lloyd-Jones' own library, and he had bought it at a used bookstore. Um, if you were to ask John MacArthur uh, his favorite Puritan works, this would be in his top three. Uh, when I'm at a conference, I'm, during the Q&A, sometimes I'm asked, especially by college students, what are the three best books I've ever read in my life? And I always mention this as number one for me. So let me, let me just give you this title, and you can get it at the bookstore, you can get it on, from Amazon, however you want to do it, but it's called A Body of Divinity by Thomas Watson. And Thomas Watson, to me, is the easiest Puritan to read. It's like eating candy. Um, John Owen has the longest sentences in the history of Western civilization. I mean, he he never saw a period he liked. Uh, He's just the king of semicolons. And (laughs) these sentences just go on. I mean, it's like Ephesians 1. It's just like one big long sentence, you know. and so, Owen is, is, is a challenge to read. But when you read Thomas Watson, it, it, it's pithy, it's short. He uses metaphors and analogies, and he draws from nature, and he just paints pictures on the canvas of your mind, and, he, and he's so biblical. And this book is him preaching through um, the, uh, the Westminster Catechism. and. Uniquely, the introduction is written by none other than Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And he gives a brief overview of Thomas Watson's life, and what's interesting is Thomas Watson dies in his prayer closet. And Spurgeon said he just went from glory to glory. And he said, said, Watson may have never known that he died. Because he just went from the presence of the Lord to the presence of the Lord. I mean, he, he was already there. <laughs> so uh, Thomas Watson has written many other wonderful books um, on the Beatitudes that greatly shaped Dr. MacArthur's preaching in Matthew many, many years ago when he preached through Matthew chapter 5, 1 through 12. Um, he's written on the Ten Commandments, masterful treatment of the Ten Commandments. He's, and he's written other little smaller pocketbook size works, but that's a good entry point. And, and I think when you begin to learn to, to read out of an era or out of a person, it only makes sense that you read what's most accessible and then kind of begin to work your way up the hill. You don't start with the most difficult. You, you start with, with what's the easiest to read, and it makes you then – you whet wet your appetite to read more. So I would just commend that to you, that's just my personal uh, thought on that, and you may have other great suggestions as well, but uh, be a reader of the Puritans, and if John MacArthur was here, he would say that many, many years ago, uh, going back to when he was in seminary, that it was his reading of the Puritans that began to shape his understanding of God and the Bible. He he speaks of reading Stephen Charnock, uh, The Existence and Attributes of God, which is a a thick, massive, two-volume tome in which Charnock just like Owen, just plums into the depths of the ocean of the being and the attributes of God. And MacArthur has said, I've never been exposed to so much of God. That's what the Puritans were. They they were God-centered, God-focused. And when you read a Puritan book, it's it's both doctrinal and practical. It's both. So, I I just commend that to you. Well, we come now to our last person, and it is the name with which you are probably most familiar. It is John Bunyan. Uh, John Bunyan was a powerful preacher. John Owen, get this, John Owen said this of, of John Bunyan. John Owen, obviously the most towering intellect in England, John Bunyan was a tinker. That means he is someone who mended pots and pans before he went into the ministry and never went beyond what we would say today, almost like a sixth-grade education. Yet John Owen delighted in going to hear John Bunyan preach, and it is said that Charles II asked Owen, why do you, the towering intellect of England, why do you go to hear this tinker preach? And John Owens said famously, I would give up all my education and I would give up all my learning if I could only preach like the tinker from Bedford. There's something about J- John Bunyan that captures the soul. He was not only a powerful preacher, he was a gifted author, and yet he was so little educated. He was a champion for the nonconformist church in the 17th century, and though he was barely educated, he penned the greatest-selling book of all time outside of the Bible. It was said in England that virtually every household had two books, The Bible and Pilgrim's Progress that there was not a household in all of England that did not have those two books. So who was John Bunyan? Let's walk through his life. It begins with a profligate youth. He was born near Bedford in the village of Elstow, three years after Charles I assumed the throne of England. His parents married the previous year, And his father was a tinker, T-I-N-K-E-R, which means he made his whole livelihood hammering out dents that were in pots and pans and reattaching handles to them. So John Bunyan grew up in a very poor home, a very modest home, and he had very little schooling and claims, "'It pleased God to put into my parents' hearts to put me to school to learn both to read and write, the which I also attained according to the rate of other poor men's children, though to my shame I confess, I did soon lo- learn what uh, I, I did soon lose what I had learned. So, in other words, he said it just went in one ear and out the other. Uh, it went in the eyes and just came out the back of my head, and it. By age nine or ten, he was living an open, sinful life. John Bunyan said, I I had few equals for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. So settled and rooted was I in these things that they became second nature to me. It was his very vocabulary to just speak with a foul tongue and a foul mouth starting at age nine. As a youth, he sat in church and listened to Puritan preaching, and his conscience was often struck, and he heard sermons on the final judgment and the torment of the damned in hell, and and he was shaken. And he said, "'These things distressed my soul, and I was often cast down and afflicted in my mind, yet I could not let go of my sin.'" At age 16, his mother died, which really only opened the floodgates for more sin. And then a month later, after his mother died, his 14-year-old sister, Margaret, died. And that same year, his father quickly remarried a third time. And John Bunyan was filled with anger and bitterness over these losses in his life. And so, he grew up angry, wicked, swearing, cursing, blaspheming, he joined the army. He became a parliamentary soldier. He actually marched in the army of Oliver Cromwell, which was a largely Puritan army. And on one military battle, this left an indelible impression upon John Owen. I'll read it in his own words. When I was a soldier, I with others, and he's only like 16 at the time, I with others was drawn out to go to such a place to besiege it, but when I was just ready to go, one of the company desired to go in my place. He took my place. And coming to the siege, meaning the battle or the conflict, he stood sentinel, meaning he stood guard, and was shot in the head with a musket bullet and died. Bunyan is shaken. That should have been me. I should have died. I should have had the bullet to the head. And he thinks about eternity, and he thinks about his soul, but he cannot let go of his sin. After the army, he returned to Bedford and took up his father's profession. It's all he knew to do. Uh, He became a tinker like his father And so at age 21, he is wild and careless, and he took a wife and moved to this little tiny village of Elstow, which is like on the outskirts of Bedford, and he's still unconverted. And he writes, I I sinned still and grew more and more rebellious against God and and careless of my own salvation, and they both entered into marriage in, in just abject poverty. He said, we came together as poor as poor might be, not having so much as as household stuff. We didn't even have a dish or a spoon between the two of us. And the only thing that was brought into this marriage other than the clothes on their back was she had two books. That that was her diary. That's what she brought to the wedding, to the marriage. And they were two Puritan books. And because they were two Puritan books, they were heart-searching books. And she would often read these books to John at night. It's the power of the ministry of books. Books can go where a person cannot go. And the first was the plain man's pathway to heaven. And the second was the practice of piety. His wife began to coax him to go to church, and it just had no effect. Church had no effect. He said, I fell in in very I fell in very eagerly with the religion of the times, meaning it was just kind of easy to go to church. I went to church twice a day, and that too with the foremost, and there was very, uh, and there should very devoutly say both and sing as others did. He knew how to play the game of church and how to just fit in, yet remained my life wicked. He became the ringleader of of youth gangs, uh, and he grew up growing in his swearing and foul-mouthed and, and, and lying, and so much so that, that, that one day he was standing in front of a shop, and the shopkeeper was a, a woman who was known for her own swearing and, and cursing, and she overheard John Bunyan swearing and cursing, and she was stunned by his foul language, and she feared he would corrupt the entire town. I mean, he was just trouble looking for someplace to happen. And he began reading with his wife the Bible and the power of the Word of God in an unconverted life. And slowly his life began to change, though he was not yet converted. He was convicted of sin. God is plowing up the soil of his heart, but the seed is not yet taking root. They have their first child. Her name was Mary, and she was born blind. Before God uses someone greatly, He first breaks him and crushes him greatly. And He said, my poor blind child lay near my heart, Than all else beside. In 1653, he came to a saving knowledge of Christ, a converted believer. As he was walking through Bedford one day, he overheard some women talking. They were talking about spiritual things, and he realized their conversation was on a much higher level, a much higher plateau, and they were talking about The new birth, that except you be born again, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I say to you, you must be born again. He stated, They were far above, they were out of my reach in their conversation. Of course, the carnal mind cannot understand the things of the spirit or their foolishness to him. But he was beginning to be convicted of his sin, of his pride, of his rotten, stinking, self-centered, self-absorbed, self-flattering pride. And he realized he was nothing more than a hypocrite. And with a troubled soul, he searched for God. He said, "'I began to look into the Bible with new eyes and read as I never did before, and especially the epistles of the Apostle Paul were sweet and pleasant to me, and indeed I was then never out of the Bible.'" either by reading or meditation, still crying out to God that I might know the truth and the way to heaven and to God. Listen, God is just reeling him in. And he met again with these spiritually-minded women in Bedford, and they introduced him to the pastor of their church, a man named John Gifford. And Gifford met privately with John Owen and made the way of salvation abundantly clear to him. This is one of the first Reformed Baptistic churches in all of England. And as a result, he came to the way and the knowledge of salvation, and he entered into the kingdom of God. He said, I sat under the ministry of Mr. Gifford, who's Doctrine by God's grace was much for my stability. This man made it much his business to deliver the people of God, and now was my soul led from truth to truth by God. He now has eyes to see and ears to hear. He has been born again himself into the kingdom of heaven, and he's not the same man that he was. He's a new creature in Christ, and the old things have passed away, and new things have come. And his life is dramatically converted at age 25. He said, the Scriptures now were wonderful things unto me. I saw that the truth is the very keys of the kingdom of heaven. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free, Jesus said. And so he becomes a young preacher. He's like Saul of Tarsus, converted on the Damascus Road, and immediately begins to preach Christ. At this same time, 15, 1654, a second daughter is born, Elizabeth, 1655, they move to Elstow. Listen to this. He moves from Elstow, from Elstow to Bedford so he can sit under the preaching of, of John Gifford. It's like people moving closer here so they can be at grace and listen to MacArthur preach. That same year, Gifford dies. He's just led... Bunyan to Christ, and now he dies, and a new minister comes. But Bunyan himself began to preach out in the countryside, going wherever he could just speak to people about Christ. It's it's in him, and it has to come out. He said, when some of the men did go into the country to teach, they're, they're like lay teachers, lay preachers, and they would also, that I should go with them though as yet I did not make use of my gift in an open way, yet more privately. In other words, I I really wasn't ready to stand before people, but I had to talk to people about Christ. So he began to just talk one-on-one to people out in the country about the Lord Jesus Christ and, and then work his way up, and he was appointed by the church to the office of public preaching. And back then, you wanted the church to lay hands on you before you would be recognized to preach like this. And so he, he said, he's never been trained, he's never been taught, he's never gone to school, he's never uh, gone to Bible college or seminary. He's just immersing himself with the Scripture, and it's coming in and it must come out, And so he says, I went for the space of two years crying out against men's sin and their fearful state because of them. He was then appointed a deacon at St. John's Church. His wife bears a third son and a fourth son, and then his wife dies. It's a reoccurring theme with these great men of God children, infants, spouses, wives, dying. And then the new pastor who replaced John Gifford who died, now the new pastor dies. It's a day before medical advances and people are just dying all around John Bunyan. At this time, this independent church lost the use of their church building. It's the very year Charles II comes to be the new king of England and the monarchy is restored. So they lose the use of their building. They can't meet publicly anymore as they could under the the Cromwells, so they met in a barn then they met in a stable, and then they moved into a cow shed. That's where they met. And Bunyan was preaching, and this leads now to his arrest, an arrested criminal. You you see the dates there, I'm sure, put up behind me, 1660 to 1661. 1660 is the restoration of the monarchy, and Charles II becomes king of England. He's actually crowned in 1661. And in 1661, he begins passing all these laws, and in 1662 was the great ejection. So, here is Bunyan living in the midst of this spiritual hurricane that's hitting the coastline of his life. And so, with the monarchy restored and the loss now of religious liberty… He carries on his ministry. He remarries a wonderful woman named Elizabeth. And the church officials there in Bedford choose to enforce the laws of the land. And they will come looking for Bunyan because the word is out that he's red hot for Christ and he's preaching to whoever will listen and he's not licensed and he, he, is, he is a dissenter. He's a nonconformist. He, he will not swear allegiance to uh, what is required. And so the time came for him to preach 12 miles outside of town, out in the middle of the country… And Bunyan knew that he risked possible arrest, and when he showed up at the meeting, the host said that they, we must cancel the meeting because there's a warrant out for your arrest and you will surely be arrested and and taken away if you preach. So let's just cancel the meeting. And Bunyan responds, no, by no means, I will not stir, meaning I'll not be moved. Neither will I have the meeting dismissed for this. Come, be of good cheer. He's actually encouraging them. Let us not be daunted. Our cause is good. We need not be ashamed of it. We will preach God's Word even if we have to suffer for it. And as the meeting started, sure enough, the constable bursts into the meeting and he arrests Bunyan while he's preaching and takes him away and puts him under the warrant of arrest. And Bunyan then stands before the, uh, the magistrate and examines him, and Bunyan says, I held my peace, and blessed be the Lord, went away to prison with God's comfort in my poor soul. He was taken now to Bedford to wait a second hearing, and Elizabeth, his second wife, was under such stress in her concern for John that she went into premature delivery and gave birth to a stillborn child. As he stood trial there in Bedford, he stood before five royalist landowners and an attorney, and the indictment was read, John Bunyan of the town of Bedford has devilishly and perniciously abstain from coming to the Church of England to hear divine service, and is a common upholder of several unlawful meanings and conventicles, meaning religious gatherings, to the great hindrance and distraction of the good subjects of this kingdom contrary to the laws of our sovereign Lord, comma, the King. And so the sentence was pronounced, You must be taken back to prison and lie there for three months following. If you do not submit to go to church to hear divine service and leave your preaching, you must be banished from this realm if you don't stop preaching. And Bunyan responded, if I am out of prison today, I will be preaching the gospel tomorrow. You know that when they put him in prison, they never locked the door. And he was free to leave at any point. All he had to do was say, I will not preach. And he was there by conviction. He, was, he saw himself as the prisoner of the Lord, like Paul in Ephesians 4, 1. Not the prisoner of Rome, but the prisoner of the Lord, there by divine appointment. So he became an imprisoned treasonist. I mean, he is now guilty of the crime of treason against the king of England, and he's sent to the Bedford prison with thieves and drunkards and and debtors, and his crime was failing to attend the local church of England and for preaching without a state license. Did you hear that? Preaching without a state license. So Bedford now, Bunyan finds himself in Bedford prison, his family brought his Bible in concordance to him. His blind daughter, Mary, was permitted to visit him, and he spent his time in prison devouring the Bible. It, Spurgeon would say of Bunyan, the man is a walking Bible. I told you that last night. Prick him anywhere, and he bleeds bibline. He doesn't have the diploma, he doesn't have the degree, he doesn't have the formal training, but what he does have is he has been saturated with the Word of God, such that Spurgeon said his very speech and vocabulary was nothing but the Bible flowing out of his mouth. He would be allowed to leave prison for short lengths of time and sometimes to meet underground out in the country with the church and then come back to prison. There was some latitude given to him by the jail keeper, but rewards were offered to anyone who would inform the authorities of where these secret meetings were taking place. And to support his family, as he sat in the cell, he, he made laces for boots and shoes. He wasn't even skilled enough to make the shoes or the boots, just simply the laces for the shoes and the boots. And that same year, Charles II is actually crowned the king of England, which further solidified the, the dominance of the church of England over the nonconformists. And Bunyan, preaching without a license, he, he's a treasonous. His wife Elizabeth travels to London, to the House of Lords, to present her case for her husband to be released, and she's turned down, and she then goes multiple times before more local magistrates pleading for the release of her husband, but for no avail. There are many, or there are several famous paintings of Elizabeth on her knees, almost pleading for her husband's arrest and time uh, for her husband's release. Time does not permit me to walk through the dialogue that she carried on, but with brilliant mind, she too, steeped in Scripture, answered all of the judges and the magistrates, yet she could not secure her husband's departure." In her last appearance, Elizabeth was asked if her husband would relinquish preaching, and she says, oh, my Lord, he dares not leave preaching as long as he can speak. And the clerk of peace altered the books and caused Bunyan to remain in prison for four more years. He would be there for a total of 12 years in prison. And Spurgeon said, when you read Pilgrim's Progress, it has the smell and the stench of the prison on every page. In other words, you couldn't write a book like this sitting in Starbucks, (laughs) sipping your latte. You need to be in a prison, humbled, independent, and separated, and crushed, and your heart open to the Lord. In prison, he had two books. really three. He had the Bible, he had a concordance, and he had Fox's Book of Martyrs. And that's another book you need to read, Fox's Book of Martyrs. In 1668, Bunyan was released from prison and returned home to his family, and he resumed his preaching, but he was then arrested again, just as he knew would happen. And he was returned to prison. And that very same year, his blind daughter died. How easy it would have been for him to justify, I need to be with the family. I need to be with my wife to help her. I need to be with my blind daughter. All I have to do is say, I will not preach. But like the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 verse 16, woe is me if I preach not the gospel. In 1672, Charles II issued a declaration of indulgence. We looked at that last night. It was the only somewhat compassionate thing that he ever did towards nonconformists, and so Bunyan is released from prison. He's given uh, freedom. He's given a license to teach and to preach according to his conscience, and he now is appointed the pastor of Bedford Meeting Church. It's an independent church, but it's baptistic, just like this church, independent but baptistic. during this time in prison and then after his release, he became such a popular author. In 1662, he wrote a discourse-touching prayer, and it's about spontaneous prayers. Remember, this is the year of the act of uniformity that you pastors have to stand in a pulpit and read the prayers that have already been written out for them to read. They're just they're just echo chambers of what someone else has, has, has written. And so Bunyan writes, a discourse-touching prayer, it's a defense of spontaneous prayers that are prompted by the Holy Spirit, that you would pray in the Spirit, meaning being led by the Spirit without just having to parrot what's already been written. In 1664, he wrote, one thing is needful... In 1666, he wrote his own spiritual autobiography called Grace Abounding in the Chief of Sinners. And in the preface, he writes, in this, in this discourse of mine, you may see much of the grace of God towards me. I thank God that I can count it much, for it was above my sins. He, is, he was aware of what a wretched sinner he was, foul-mouthed and swearing and cursing, but the grace of God was yet greater than his sin. That's why he says grace abounding, super abounding towards me. I thank God that I counted much for it was above my sins and Satan's temptations too. I can remember my fears and doubts and sad months with with comfort. They bring afresh into my mind the remembrance of my great help, my great support from heaven, and the great grace that God extended to such a wretch as I. And the weaker he was, the stronger he became by the grace of God. Here's a picture of grace abounding to the chief chief of sinners, 1666. Between 1672 and 1677, he wrote the first part of Pilgrim's Progress, published in 1678. And the book begins with these famous words. The whole book is an allegory. The, the whole book is a picture of the Christian life, as Chris has already mentioned. It begins, as I walk through the wilderness of this world. So he, he's picturing this world as a wilderness. I lighted on a certain place where was a den, and I laid me down in that place to sleep. And as I slept, I dreamed a dream. I dreamed, and behold, I saw a man clothed with rags, standing in a certain place with his face from his own house, a book in his hand and a great burden upon his back. I looked and saw him open the book and read therein, and as he read, he wept and trembled and was not being able longer to contain. He broke out with a lamentable cry, saying, "'What shall I do?' In other words, like at the end of Romans 7, "'Oh, wretched man!' It will deliver me from this sin. Spurgeon said of Pilgrim's Progress, next to the Bible, the book I value most is John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. He thought Rutherford was the most gifted with language, but he thought Pilgrim's Progress was the greatest book he had ever read in his life. He said, I believe I've read it through at least a hundred times, and he was not exaggerating. He he read it while uh, a young teenager, many, many times. It is a volume of which I never seem to tire, and the secret of its freshness is that it is so largely compiled from the Scriptures. The book would become the greatest allegory ever written in the history of the world, and second only to the Bible in popularity and distribution. That's quite a statement. And within 200 years, it is said, as I said earlier, every household in England possessed two books, The Bible and Pilgrim's Progress. And the book shows Bunyan's own progress in his spiritual life, which applies to every one of us who are believers here today. It's the story of a believer's pilgrimage through this world to the world to come with the temptations and the snares and the difficulties and the uphill climbs and the lures. There are numerous passages found in, this, in Pilgrim's Progress. And then he wrote, a couple of years later, The Holy War. Sounds like a John MacArthur title. <laughs> the Holy War. Um, and it's the believer in spiritual warfare. And the main characters are Mansoul and Captain Anything and Mr. God's Peace and Diabolus and Emmanuel. And beginning in 1677, after he finishes really a second imprisonment. He becomes an itinerant preacher. He becomes a man who travels about. He's age 49. He's released from his second imprisonment. In fact, it's believed that John Owen, with all those political connections that he had, was actually the one behind the scenes that helped orchestrate his release. A popular figure because of his writings, Bunyan received many invitations to preach And he traveled about England on extended preaching tours, and he traveled to London at least once a year where he preached in churches and large halls and large houses. And one report says, when Mr. Bunyan preached in London, if there was but one day's notice given, there would be more people come together to hear him preach than the meeting house would hold. I have seen him preach by my computation. To about 1,200 at a morning lecture at seven o'clock on a working day in dark winter time, I also computed about 3,000 that came to hear him on the Lord's Day at London. He was a Powerful preacher. I mean, it's almost like the the river that is flowing. You put up a dam, and the river just keeps flowing, and it builds up and builds up and builds up in its pressure until the dam is removed, and then the, the waters rush with a far greater force and strength. That's what was happening to, to Bunyan. He, this, this river of truth is flowing in his life, and as long as he is in prison, it's being dammed up, dammed up, but it's growing stronger and stronger in him until he's finally released and it's like a floodgate is opened. And he goes from town to town preaching the Word of God, and because of Pilgrim's Progress, people know who he is. And just one day's notice at 7 o'clock in the morning in the middle of the winter, they're packing out the place with over a thousand people just to hear him preach. And that is why John Owen said, I'd give up all my learning and all my education if I could just preach like the tinker of Bedford. In 1688, he traveled to reading to settle a dispute with a family, and you ride by horseback by, by then, and he goes through a heavy storm with showers, and became sick with shiverings, and he comes to the end of his life. And this is what happened to Matthew Henry, and we'll talk about that tomorrow. Itinerant preaching and having to travel by horseback through storms. And it's cold and it's wet and just die with the shivers. Guess what his last sermon was? John Bunyan. His last sermon. You remember what brought him into the kingdom? It was the truth of the new birth. It was his last sermon he preached on the new birth, John 1, verse 13. Who are born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of God, or not of the will of man, but of God. He, we're, we're born of God. And two days later, Bunyan developed pneumonia with a high fever. And at the end of the week, he lay on, his doorstep, on the doorstep of death. And his friends gathered around. And he said, Brothers, I desire nothing more than to be with Christ. I mean, he's not clinging to this world, he's not mourning because he hasn't gone to Europe yet. You know, he wants to go to heaven. I desire nothing more than to be with Christ, which is far better. He's like Owen. He's just so Christ-centered, Christ-focused. And he raised his arms upward to heaven and cried out, Take me, for I come to you. What a way to die. And so Bunyan graduated to glory. It was his wedding day in which he was joined to his bridegroom and was united to him most directly. Bunyan was then buried, yes, in Bunhill Fields. And when you go to Bunhill Fields, it is John Bunyan's tomb that stands out above all the rest. Owen and Isaac Watts and the others are behind um, iron... Um, bars, but Bunyan is just right here in the center. You, You can't walk through it without, boom, you run into Bunyan's burial site. And here he is buried outside the city limits of London in his day with John Owen and Isaac Watts and Daniel Defoe, who wrote Robinson Crusoe, John Gill, Susanna Wesley, And I think it would be fitting to end again with Spurgeon's quote of John Bunyan. What was the greatness of Bunyan? Spurgeon said, why, this man is a living Bible. Prick him anywhere. His blood is bibline. The very essence of the Bible flows from him. He cannot speak without quoting a text, or his very soul is full of the Word of God. I commend His example to you, brethren. So let us be like John Bunyan in this. Let us imitate Him as He imitated Christ in this regard. Let us so saturate our mind and our heart and our soul With the Word of God, that we are made strong even in the days of greatest adversity and difficulty. Even if we are carried off and put into prison and we have to leave behind a wife and a blind daughter, what would give us strength? What would give us staying power? What would give us comfort? What would enable us to endure the most difficult trials of life? And it is to be rooted and grounded in the Word of the living God, and to draw strength from the Word, to saturate our minds, to draw comfort for our hearts, to have our faith stabilized. This is what we learn from John Bunyan. And I know many of you here today must be going through difficult times. Your, your ship is sailing through stormy seas. I just want to encourage you. To plunge into the truths of the Word of God. Read the Scripture again and again. Take it into your heart and into your soul. And you will find supernatural peace and comfort and strength to endure just as John Bunyan did as he spent 12 years in prison and was brought back to prison yet again. His life was not wasted. His life was very well invested in the kingdom of God. You have only one life. There's no do-over. You have only one life. Invest it well in the Word of God and in the kingdom of God, and the Lord will give you much grace, and He will use you mightily. Let us pray. Father, thank You for raising up men like John Bunyan, who have gone before us, who give us the encouragement, what You did in them, You can do in me. Lord, we don't hold up these men in any sense of idolizing them or... um, having too high of opinion of them. We see your grace that was at work in their life. We see what you did in them, and everything that was good in them, it was you doing it in them. And this encourages us. We want you to do your work of grace within our hearts and within our souls. We pray that your peace, your comfort, your strength, would fill and flood our hearts and souls. And as I conclude this prayer, Lord, for those here today who find themselves in a time of great tribulation, as storm clouds have gathered over their life, may they see in John Bunyan, what it looks like for someone to sail through troubled seas and to stand strong and to be full of comfort and grace. May you encourage them with this reality. Father, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Men Who Rock the World. If you want to follow us on social media, I can be found at Dr. Stephen J. Lawson or at onepassion.org. Please join me next week for the next episode of Men Who Rock the World.